Welcome to Farm to Stable, a science-based equine nutrition podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nettie Leibert. I'm a lifelong horse person and professional equine nutritionist with the goal of helping horses and their humans create balanced diets to set them up for success, no matter what age, discipline, or circumstance. Disclaimer, the information discussed here is based on current scientific research and is for educational purposes only. Every horse's individual needs vary. This is not a substitute for veterinary medicine or nutrition consultation. Welcome to another episode of Farm to Stable, an equine nutrition podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Nettie Leibert, and I'm so happy that you've joined me today as we continue on with our Feed Myth Busting series for November 2023. And there's always a feed myth to be busted. In fact, last week, one of the myths I talked about were some surrounding beet pulp and sugar and things like that. But you know what I realized? There are more beet pulp myths that I didn't even get to last week. So I'm going to kick it off with some more beet pulp myths. I love beet pulp, quite obviously. So I am out to make sure that it is not misunderstood. So true or false? If you feed beet pulp shreds dry, they will expand and cause choke or stomach rupture. Got your answer? The answer is false. This is not going to happen. And I hear people still kind of have this belief out there. Uh, It's not true. So this is why it's not true. Saliva is not absorbed into beet pulp fast enough for it to expand in the esophagus and cause choke. Now, that said... Shredded beet pulp is of small particle size, and there is a greater risk of choke in horses that eat their feed very quickly and horses that don't chew properly. Now, again, because it's very dry and very light, there is a higher risk of choke if you don't feed it soaked, but it isn't because it's going to expand and block the horse's esophagus. That's not the reason. Another reason is that a horse's stomach can hold... 8 to 17 quarts, which is 2 to 4 gallons, depending on size. Smaller would be more like a pony. Uh, Larger, 4 gallons, would be more like an adult horse or a a larger draft horse. One quart of dry beet pulp shreds weighs just over a half a pound on the average. So if you are feeding 4.5 to 9.5 pounds of dry beet pulp, then you might start getting into a situation where once stomach juices are absorbed, you might get some expansion and you might get into trouble. That's four to nine times more than one typically feeds. If you are out there feeding four, five, six pounds of beet pulp to your horse, please reach out to a nutritionist because chances are your horse's diet is very much out of balance. But I digress. If you are feeding beet pulp in any form, I always recommend that you soak it, especially if you are feeding the pellets. Those should be soaked. They expand Uh, quite a bit relative to the shreds. And the other thing around beet pulp is that you don't have to soak it for 14 hours a day to make sure it absorbs. Now, the pellets will take longer to soak than the shreds. I have done this experiment in my kitchen where I brought in the beet pulp and I said, all right, how long does this really need to soak? I need to just for myself have the evidence. So in my rather N of one semi-scientific study. I brought the beet pulp into my kitchen. I filled it with water and I timed it to see at what point is it really well absorbed. And it didn't take that long. It was about 15 minutes or so in tepid water. So not hot, not freezing cold, just sort of tap cool. 
So if you are using warmer water, yeah, it'll probably absorb a little bit faster. If you're using cold water in the middle of winter, again, it might take a little bit longer, but you don't need to let it soak for 12 hours a day. If you are in a hot climate or a warm or humid climate, you don't need to let it sit out and risk flies getting into it or pests or other things. So rest easy. Soak the beet pulp for 15, 20 minutes. Really, you don't need to buy anything special to make it absorb faster. It's all it takes. And then, of course, make sure that your horse isn't bolting it or eating it too fast. All right, I'll move on from beet pulp, I promise. Now, this one is general, and it can get a little bit complicated, but we're going to try to keep it simple here. The next myth I want to talk about is about supplements. So true or false? More supplements are better. If some is good, more is better, right? Not necessarily. You don't need a chemistry set out there. Now, I am not down on supplements at all. I think they have a good place in many horses' diets, but you can do too much of a good thing. More is not always better, particularly when it comes to vitamin mineral supplements. Now, there are a ton of well-balanced supplements on the market, but some of them, if you're relying on them to balance an all-forage diet, may not be sufficient. There are some extremely high-quality, expensive supplements out there that don't efficiently balance an all-forage diet when fed as directed. Ration balancers, again, can do that really well. But that also doesn't mean that you can, ju- that you can or should just dump more of them on there. So it depends on the product, for sure. Joint supplements are a whole other discussion, and that is sort of separate from the balancing discussion, the nutrition discussion. If your horse is being fed a grain concentrate and you're feeding that concentrate as the manufacturer recommends it, chances are, unless your hay or forage source is really, really poor, chances are you don't need an additional vitamin mineral supplement aside from, you know, a salt block, something like that, because horses seem to like salt. They have a taste for it. And we want to encourage them to drink any way we can. So when are supplements probably necessary? Well, if you have a malnourished horse, that's a potential situation. A horse in heavy exercise, and by that I mean racing, high-level eventing, high-level jumpers. If a horse is ill or recovering from surgery or an injury, older horses possibly If you are feeding a concentrate less than the recommended amount that the manufacturer suggests, or again, if your horse is on a forage-only diet. Now, again, I'm kind of referring to vitamin mineral supplements here. There are all kinds of other supplements that you may feed for various reasons, whether it's to promote digestive health or, again, for joint supplements, things of that nature. That's a little bit different. But Be very careful about the vitamin mineral supplements that you're feeding. I recently did a consult uh, with someone who really thought they were doing the right thing by feeding a mineral supplement that was not designed by an equine nutritionist, just someone who thought horse nutrition was pretty cool. And the supplement did not provide any vitamins at all, like vitamin A, D, or E. And in fact, the minerals, while some of them were in decent balance, some of them were very, very high. Not quite toxic, but definitely more than the horse needed. So buyer beware. Do your homework a little bit. If you are buying supplements, there is no regulation on supplements. And what I mean by that is if you're buying a commercial feed, if you're buying uh, food in the grocery store, these are regulated by the FDA and the USDA. 
supplements are not regulated. So a supplement can have a label and, and will have a label on it saying that it contains X, Y, and Z. But technically, the manufacturer of that supplement doesn't necessarily have to prove that X, Y, and Z is actually in there. So what you can do to know if you're buying something that at least has what it says it has is look for a little yellow oval that says NASC. That's National Animal Supplement Council. Now, the NASC is not going to substantiate any claims made by a given supplement, but what it does do is ensure that the manufacturer of that supplement puts in the bottle what it says is in there. And that's kind of important because if you think you're buying something, you want to make sure you're getting your money's worth. The next myth I want to talk about has to do with carbohydrates. We could do an entire podcast on carbohydrates alone. But I'm going to hit the highlights here because, you know, that's what I do. I want to keep it interesting and fun and simple and easy to digest. Forgive the pun. So let's talk about carbohydrates. First of all, what is a carbohydrate? A carbohydrate is a sugar. A starch is many smaller molecules of carbohydrates linked together. So starch is basically a giant carbohydrate. So true or false? Starch and carbohydrates are bad for the horse. And I bet by now you figured out the trend. The answer is false. In fact, carbohydrates are the main source of energy in equine diets and human diets as well. But I'm not a human nutritionist, so I won't get into that. But yes, balance is key. Are there times when carbohydrates in the diet need to be limited? 100%, especially if you have an insulin dysregulating horse or perhaps a horse with uh, other endocrine disorders such as Cushing's disease. But horses evolved eating small amounts of carbohydrates from forage throughout the day. And carbs are essential for things like brain function. Carbohydrates are the preferred energy source for the brain. That's true for you and me too. And it's also important for things like red blood cell function. Glucose, which is a simple sugar and a carbohydrate, is the main carbohydrate used for ATP production. So if you remember back to your high school biology class or even your junior high, ATP is your energy source, your adenosine triphosphate. So glucose is a quick burning energy. If you've ever forgotten to eat lunch or you didn't have time and all of a sudden you're not feeling so well, maybe you're getting a little cranky and you grab a candy bar, you almost instantly feel better, right? Well, you can thank carbohydrates for that and those simple sugars because they're readily absorbed, quickly absorbed, and it gives that energy to the horse to say burst out of the starting gate or leap over the jump. Uh, the problem is you burn out pretty quickly. So you'll burn through glucose very quickly. You get some energy, but it doesn't last very long. So a whole other podcast here, I could get into the dynamics of carbohydrate and fat metabolism, but I'm not. Just the point is, is that glucose is a really powerful energy source. Excess glucose that is not burned off will be stored in the muscle and in the liver in the form of glycogen. Glycogen can then be utilized for work later on. So you have your energy reserves. So you eat your meal and in a few hours, perhaps you're going to go and have a riding lesson. So your horse has his meal in the morning. He's ready for the riding lesson later in the day. Same kind of thing. So glycogen is replenished as a part of exercise recovery. So you have a meal, you store it up, you use it, you burn it off doing your routine. And then afterwards, you have another meal and glycogen is replenished as part of that recovery. 
Carbohydrate overload, however, can contribute to digestive upset, laminitis, obesity. Uh, if you have a chronic situation of excess carbohydrate intake. And carbohydrate overload is obviously something we want to avoid in horses. It can severely upset the hindgut and the pH values, the microbial population of the hindgut, and lead to some other problems. And one other thing to mention about carbohydrates, if you are a human athlete or maybe a runner, maybe you do marathons, you may have heard of the term carb-loading where the night before a big competition or a race, you may have a very carbohydrate-rich meal to store energy for your big effort the next day. Well, guess what? You can't carb load a horse. This has been proven in scientific studies in the same way that a human might carb load before a big competition or a marathon. It doesn't work in horses. In fact, it's only going to put them at risk for carbohydrate overload and some other things. So please don't try to carb load your horse, especially if they're not used to having lots of carbohydrates in their diet. It's all about balance, but carbohydrates themselves are not evil. And again, as I mentioned earlier, carbs should be limited when a horse has a metabolic disease, such as insulin resistance or Cushing syndrome, or if your horse has a muscle myopathy, such as polysaccharide storage myopathy, where the muscles can't properly metabolize glycogen. I'm not going to get too much into that this time. Not all carbohydrates are evil. They are necessary for it as an energy source. And even in horses, that need to have carbs limited in their diet still need some carbohydrates. You can't reduce the carbohydrate in the diet to zero. That's another round of Feed Myths for our November Feed Myth series. I do hope you enjoyed it. I do hope you've learned something. If there's other questions or myths or rumors around feeding that you've heard that you'd like to discuss or heard discussed here on Farm to Stable, please reach out at equinenutritionphd at yahoo.com. Would love to do a listener question series in a future podcast and see what you think. Let me know if you are liking the content, if you have suggestions or ideas. Would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. Please don't forget to like, share, subscribe. And thank you so much for spending a few minutes with me and talking about equine nutrition. Look forward to having you here next time. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Farm to Stable, a science-based equine nutrition podcast. Please share and subscribe if you found the content interesting. And if you have a topic you'd like to hear about, send it to equinenutritionphd at yahoo.com.